Welcome to Behind the Line, where we pull back the curtain on the challenges facing first responders and frontline workers. The work you do is unique, and so are the stresses that go with it. Join me as we tackle key issues to reduce risks for burnout, and as we work to support you in doing the job you love without sacrificing being the kind of person you want to be. Hey there, and welcome back to Behind the Line. I'm your host, Lindsay Foss. If you're new to Behind the Line, what you should know about me is that I'm a clinical counselor specializing in trauma therapy. And after over a decade working with first responders and frontline workers around issues like burnout, compassion fatigue, PTSD, and related OSIs, I've become a passionate wellness advocate and educator for those who sacrifice so much for our communities out on the front lines. Behind the Line is a place for us to talk about the real-life behind-the-scenes challenges facing you on the front lines. I created this podcast with the hope of bringing easy access to skills for wellness, allowing you to find greater sustainability both on the job and off. On today's episode, we're wrapping up our Trigger Happy series by talking about trigger prevention. Now, if you're wondering why we saved prevention for last, it's because for many, the bigger job is intervention, i.e. trigger management for existing triggers. That said, trigger prevention is a really important piece for us to talk about. Before I get too far down the road, let me be really clear that when I say trigger prevention, I do not mean avoidance. Preventing triggers is an active state. It means being engaged and working to reduce the likelihood that something potentially or actually triggering will yield a strong stress reaction. It's a preemptive effort at unpairing or limiting the extent to which a stress or trauma-related pairing produces all of the survival responses we've been talking about throughout the series. Avoidance, on the other hand, is about just not coming into contact with triggers at all. Avoidance is a passive state, although it doesn't always feel very passive when you're driving way out of your way to avoid driving by that one intersection, or have to find an entirely new place to shop to avoid that one grocery store, or whatever the case may be. Avoidance is trying to let your brain off the hook to not have to do the big reaction, But as we discussed a couple of weeks ago, it actually creates a whole new set of problems. You see, as we avoid something, our brain thinks, yep, this is a great idea, and it will work harder and harder to continue avoiding that trigger. Not only that, it will also start to generalize that trigger to other pieces kind of like it, just in case. And as we avoid more, we actually create increased anxiety and reaction to the trigger. Not so off the hook then, are we? Now, if all of this is sounding like gibberish to you, then I'm guessing you've jumped in on today's episode a little prematurely. We've been building on these concepts for a few weeks now, and to get the most out of today's topic, start at Season 2, Episode 22, and listen through to catch up. I promise it's going to be worth it. For our purposes today, I'm going to break trigger prevention down into two major categories that I'm going to call personal resilience strategies 
and event-related resilience strategies. Now, before we jump in, don't feel like you have to be scribbling notes frantically. If you haven't already accessed some of our show notes, you might not know that we make really comprehensive notes and we have full transcripts to our solo episodes. So if you want to access additional information about anything that we've talked about here, you'll find it in the show notes. Let's start with personal resilience strategies. Have you ever noticed the difference between doing something challenging on a day when you've had lots of rest, feel calm, feel meaningfully connected to others, and so on, versus a day when you've barely slept, felt frazzled, and find yourself feeling lonely and adrift? I'm guessing you all know where I'm headed with this, although I also expect that there's a number of you thinking, Lindsay, do days of being rested, calm, and connected actually exist? Yes, friends, they can, although I hear you, and I get that for a lot of us, exhausted, frazzled, and disconnected can kind of feel like the status quo. Here's the thing. When we face triggers, it is energy depleting and a resource suck. If we enter those moments already depleted, there's only so much we can draw from. And once that is tapped out, it becomes a lot harder to cope with the trigger and manage it. This opens up a window for the trigger to feel like so much more intensity and to hijack you so much further into your stress reactions further entrenching the trigger as an association with negative and stress-related experiences. So when we talk about personal resilience strategies, we're talking about the pieces that help build a buffer for us so that when we interact with triggering, we're entering the moment with the fullness of our energy and resources in place. If we can focus on building our personal resilience by investing in intentionally attending to and growing our buffer, we are more likely to prevent or at the very least reduce the intensity of impact from a triggering experience. And doesn't that sound great? Like I said before, this isn't an avoidance strategy. It's an active strategy that requires that you invest in your buffer continuously and consistently. I know that sounds like a lot of work, But if I could promise you that investing here was guaranteed to yield less frequent or intense triggering, wouldn't it feel worth it? When we talk about personal resilience strategies, the focus is on strengthening the parts of our brain that help us to feel calm, collected, and anchored. Buffered from or quickly responsive to the random things that come up and try to knock us over. Working to enhance things like sleep, fitness, nutrition, hydration, being grounded and mindful, feeling nurtured, connected, and cared for by ourselves and others, and limiting exposure to counterproductive pieces like screens, substances, and other mindless, numbing, or counterproductive distraction. These are the focal points of personal resilience. Now, I know that covers a lot of ground and might feel a bit overwhelming to tackle. Don't get stressed out. The goal is not to go from depleted and struggling to do any of these pieces to jumping all in to all of them all at once. 
That won't be sustainable anyways, and it just sets us up to fail. For now, all I want you to do is focus on just a couple of tweaks and then build off of it. Need some ideas? Choose two of these suggestions and work on them for a week or two. And then try adding in one or two more. Slowly but surely, you will grow your personal resilience and it will invariably have an effect in supporting your capacity to navigate triggering. And side benefit, they have a bunch of other advantages too. Try going to bed 10 to 20 minutes earlier than you might normally. Drink one full glass of water first thing after you get out of bed in the morning. Take a high quality B-complex supplement daily. Turn off screens 30 minutes before going to bed. Stretch for five minutes before going to sleep or stretch for five minutes on your lunch break. Delay alcohol or substance consumption by drinking one full glass of water first. Talk or text with a friend or loved one for a couple of minutes. Connect with someone who makes you laugh. Spend five to 10 minutes outside in the fresh air at some point during your day. If you'll notice, none of these things are big things. They are all small and doable. If you incrementally work to bridge some of these pieces into your daily routine, the additive effect will be consequential in helping to grow your buffer and support your personal resilience as you face challenging days and triggering moments. And yes, you will find this list of suggestions in the show notes if you need it for reference. If you want to level up your personal resilience beyond the starter suggestions I've listed here today, I'm going to suggest two things. First off, go to episodes 9 to 14 of season 2, where we did our Back to Basics Brain Health series and covered topics like sleep, fitness, nutrition, screens, mindfulness, and so on. And we did it in detail with experts within each field. In those episodes, you'll get additional suggestions to grow your personal resilience repertoire, and it's so, so worth it. The other suggestion I would make is to check out my Beating the Breaking Point Resilience Training Program, designed specifically for first responders and frontline workers. The program was built based on my experience working with those on the front lines and seeing the gaps in your training that set you up for major blows to resilience and sustainability. And I packed in everything that is most important for you to know along with tons of tools to develop a personalized resilience action plan. It's all in the program. Those who have gone through the training have given really positive feedback, and we've seen the program used by full staffs in an effort to promote resilience and wellness broadly within organizations. You can learn more by clicking the link in the show notes. Just as a quick heads up, we will be running a promotional reduced rate coupon code for this program starting next week. So if you want to snag the course for $100 off, listen in next week for details or keep your eyes peeled for those of you who are on our email list or follow me on social media. We'll be posting about it there as well. Okay, let's move on to event-related resilience strategies. There are two parts to this category. The first is about risk reduction, 
and the second is about harm reduction. Risk reduction is a front-end prevention strategy. It's about trying to minimize or reduce the risk that stressful or traumatic things will happen in the first place. Let me clarify again that this is not the same as avoidance. An example of avoidance might be avoiding an intersection because I was in an accident there and I find it triggering. An example of risk reduction is to be strategic about when I go to this intersection, practicing safe and defensive driving practices while I drive, particularly in this intersection, reducing distractions like the radio or other ambient noise while I go through this intersection, and so on. In terms of work-related stress or trauma, risk reduction might look like capping the number of shifts I put in for or limiting how much overtime I choose to take. It might look like being picky about which shifts I work or who I work alongside in an effort to promote my wellness and reduce the risk that I'm left as the only experienced worker with a crew of rookies, for example. It might look like setting really firm boundaries around taking my breaks to step away from the intensity or being firm with protocols to prevent demands from coming in through back channels and overwhelming my workload. The goal with risk reduction when it comes to event-related resilience is to reduce the chances of being thrown into high stress quite so frequently. It gives our brain the sense that we're actively working to protect it and safeguard it from an excess of damage. And when we do this in coordination with personal resilience strategies, we give our brains their best chance of being able to manage through stressful or triggering experiences when they have to, with the greatest capacity at their disposal. Which means that our brains are then more likely to be able to utilize our trigger management tools to help us navigate through triggers rather than getting sunk by them. On the flip side of risk reduction, which is a front-end effort at preventing exposure to bad things, harm reduction is a back-end effort to reduce the degree of impact that an event has when something bad has happened. When an event happens, we have some choices about how we choose to hold it. How we tell the story, even just in our own heads, matters in terms of how our brains will connect meaning and significance to this event. If you have a call that is just catastrophic in terms of facing human suffering, the story you tell is likely to focus on the overwhelming intensity of what took place. And that's okay. It's honest and accurate. But it may not be complete Our tendency is to really focus in on how awful that thing was that happened and how we feel like that's a representation of the world around us on a larger scale. But we can lose track of recognizing or giving any airtime to who we were within the situation, how we did the best we could, how we followed the training to the letter how we could only take actions with the information we had at the time, how we survived a hard thing rather than telling the story from a position of victimhood. Seeing the others who helped and knowing there is good in the world in the form of these helpers, recognizing that while we didn't shape the event that happened, 
we stepped in to shape the outcome it would have for those involved. And that matters. When we tell a story of the value we brought, the effort we brought, and the meaning that has to the story, we hold the story differently. Now, let me again be careful in clarifying that I don't mean spin the story to be all positive and sunshine and roses. I mean, offer yourself a more complete and accurate narrative of the events that unfolded that include the good along with the hard, because neither exists in isolation. I'm asking you to put intention into holding the tension. Interestingly, what we know about trauma is that how we tell the story of a traumatic event dictates in significant ways the likelihood that we will experience longer-term consequences of that event, including PTSD. If we want to reduce the harm that an event might have on our lives, we need to be conscientious about how we are telling ourselves the story of what took place. And we need to get intentional at shaping that story. Not to lie to ourselves, but to hold a more accurate and full portrayal of what took place that balances what was terrible with what we can be proud of, or how we know we tried, and so on. When it comes to triggering, harm reduction event-related resilience looks like how I tell the story of my interaction with a trigger. Was it uncomfortable? Heck yes. But I also stayed in my body while I was triggered, and that felt different than kind of numbing out or reacting without conscious awareness. I also used my trigger management tools and was able to regulate my reaction quicker than I've been able to in the past, and that's cool. I know that it sucks to be triggered, but I also know that I did things differently this time, and that if I keep it up, the trigger won't stay so strong. I can be proud of me for trying and facing something uncomfortable. That says something cool about me, that I'm the kind of person who can face hard things. And from there, I'm going to further invest in my personal resilience strategies to continue to refine and grow my buffer to give me what I need when I inevitably face additional triggering. I might brainstorm additional ways to engage in risk reduction, event-related resilience strategies around this trigger to be proactive for the next time. And I'm going to trust the science that tells me that if I keep this up consistently, my brain will gradually unpair this connection and I won't have to work so hard to mitigate my reactions to this random trigger forever. As we wrap up our Trigger Happy series, I want to thank you for the efforts you are making at being proactive and supporting your wellness. We need the yous of the world, people who care, people who want to make the world better, people who are committed to making a difference. And we need you well. If you haven't yet, go check out my free Managing Trauma Triggers workbook in the show notes. It's a great bonus resource to support you as you continue your journey at managing triggering. I'd also encourage you again to listen in next week for the coupon code to get the Beating the Breaking Point Resilience Program. It's a fantastic program, and it goes far deeper into some of these same topics. Don't forget that the Self-Care Dare 5-Day Challenge for First Responders and Frontline Workers is open for registration until 11.59 p.m. on Monday, February 28th. 
you have one week left to sign up. But if you want to join us, I want to encourage you to sign up as soon as possible as we're capping the registration this time around. If you're a new listener and you don't know about the D.A.R.E., here's what you need to know. The D.A.R.E. is a five-day challenge that invites participants to build a killer self-care plan to help protect and support sustainability both at work and in your life. You get short daily videos that cover five key domains of self-care, along with worksheets and guides to help you develop and implement your own personalized self-care plan. You also get access to a private Facebook group where we connect, discuss challenges, problem solve, and celebrate successes together. And I love giving away a few prizes along the way because it helps keep you motivated and engaged. And because investing in yourself in this kind of way is so important, and I want to make sure that you see it all the way through. You're worth that. Our previous participants have raved about the content and the support, and many have reached out long after completing to share about the ongoing value it's brought to their lives. It's only $10, and you get to keep access to everything even after the five days are done. If you're ready to invest a few coffees worth of cash and a week's worth of your time into your wellness, jump over right now to our podcast page and register. You'll find the link in the show notes. As we wrap up today, I want to remind you to please reach out and connect. If you have any questions or feedback, you know, I love hearing from you and shaping this podcast to echo your needs and interests. I love hearing about what you're working on and how you're using what we talk about on the show. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Lindsay A. Foss, where you can follow me or tag me, or you can email me at support at thrive-life.ca. If you go on to our social media, you can also find additional challenge questions to push your learning from these episodes just a little bit further. I'm grateful that many of you are keen to share about Behind the Line and spread the word to others on the front lines. Know that we can be found online on our website, on most major podcast platforms, as well as on YouTube. Click subscribe to get alerts about our latest episodes or subscribe to our email list to hear more from me about all the exciting things that we have going on and coming up. You'll find all the details you need in the show notes, along with links to our Beating the Breaking Point Indicators Checklist and Triage Guide to help facilitate self-assessing burnout and related concerns. We make all of this available to you because the work you do matters, but more than that, you matter. And we want to make sure that you have what you need to keep up the good work at work, as well as in your real life outside of the work. So use it and share it. And until next time, stay safe.